Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast, revamped, reloaded. Um, you're hearing this live from New York, although by the time this is published, I'll be in Copenhagen. So, um, hi. Uh, and uh, I'm very, very, very pleased uh, to welcome today's guest on the 64 chess podcast. Uh, she is a two-time U.S. women's champion, and uh, she's a commentator who got me into chess. I'll explain in a little sec. Um, Warren Grandmaster, Jennifer Shahadi, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. And I'm, I'm really excited too. And I'll just, I'll just tell you a little story. Um, I've only been playing chess, as my listeners know, for about three years or so. In my last year of high school, um, I was just getting ready for college. It was like August. And I kind of started going down the chess rabbit hole on YouTube like a lot of people do. And um, I ended up watching a day of like, I think it was the, maybe I'm wrong, but I, it was it was you, Maurice, and Yasser, the classic trio, commentary trio. I think it was a St. Louis Rapid and Blitz three years ago with Kasparov and all of them. And uh, that, that was like one of the first tournaments I watched, seeing that high level chess. And I was like, wow, I got to get better at this thing. And then I still didn't play for another year. Uh, but now it's come full circle. I have you on the show and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about chess with you. So once again, welcome to the show. And uh, I hope all my listeners enjoy the show. Um, and before we get into the meat and bones of the podcast, uh, I just want to thank Aim Chess once again for sponsoring the, the show. You can use the code David30 to get 30% off your first month with Aim Chess. Um, and with that being said, Let's just get right into uh, what I've got planned for today. And the first thing I want to talk about with you is um, the women's program that you do for U.S. chess, um, because you are very busy bee, uh, as I found out. Um, you got a lot going on uh, in your schedule, and you're doing a lot of great things for uh, women's chess. Um, so I guess I kind of want to just uh, could could you I guess what I, this is where I'll start. Um, could you just kind of explain some of the programs that you run uh, or help run for U.S. chess in terms of bringing more women into the game? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, U.S. chess women um, is a huge passion of mine. And, you know, for many years, I've been trying to get more girls and women into the game. But this is a tremendous vehicle to kind of like up those efforts. And uh, one of my favorites is our girls club, which started out with our women's committee putting together these um, women's um, spaces in mixed tournaments, right? So you'd have like the national high school championship or national elementary championship. And there are usually only like 20% girls in these events, right? Maybe a little more from the elementaries, maybe a little less for the high school, but we're severely outnumbered. So now there's a special room with like refreshments and special guests. So that if you're the only girl that plays chess at your school, you're very likely to meet other girls around your age from other parts of the country, maybe get a chance to meet one of your favorite female players as well. And so that idea was so successful. So um, we started fundraising for it just to make sure that it could happen at all of our major events. And then also bringing in even more exciting guests. Uh, and then, of course, uh, with COVID, all of our plans for um, the spring of 2020 were canceled. You know, we had so many wonderful guests lined up. Irina Crush, Nazi Pekidzi, our women's committee chair, Adia Anyango was going to go. Um, Alexandra Botez was booked. So all of that, of course, uh, was canceled. But we were able to pivot to our online workshops and the cool thing about that was how great the accessibility was that um, people from all over the country, you know, were able to participate in them and we could also do them so frequently to really help build the community. Um, so we had them actually in the beginning of the pandemic, we would sometimes have them two or three times a week. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and then mostly weekly now, but with other special events kind of sprinkled around in the calendar. Um, so that's been so much fun. We've had Grandmaster Judith Polgar visit, Grandmaster Gary Kasparov. I mean, well, I just I just had the two greatest of all time. So yeah, Gary <laughs> Chess so himself and, and Judith is like my all time like favorite attacking player ever. So yes, yes, that's that is. I feel like that's a great way to introduce her because I feel like I, that's exactly how I introduced her. I said, um, you know, one of the greatest attacking players of all time and. Uh, the greatest female player ever, because I feel like just the greatest female player ever is like definitely not enough, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, any everybody's like felt Judith's wrath. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Thirteen world champions she's beat, yeah. and she was she was awesome. And and then you know we've also had streamers because obviously a lot of the girls can relate. Like Andrea and Alexandra visited, as well as Anna Rudolph. And another cool thing that we're doing is we're doing a partnership with girls from Kenya. Actually, started with the Kenya Chess Girls, and um, that cross cultural program where we study chess together with the American girls and the Kenyan girls. And we also like learned a little bit of Swahili. We taught them like a little bit about geography. Um, and it was really about like our American geography. They taught us a little bit about, about Kenya. And that was so successful that some other countries in Africa also joined the program. So we also have girls from Uganda and Namibia and Nigeria. Um, the girls from Chess in the Slums actually visited us yeah. recently. We so actually that, heard uh, we heard on our podcast about um, about how your involvement with chess and slums. I had I had Aaron Thompson on the show as the like one of the curriculum directors and stuff. So that was really cool. Oh Part yeah, he's pod. great. Yeah. he's great, and that's just been wonderful. We're gonna have girls from Colombia come in soon. Nadia Ortiz's group. Um, she's a women's grandmaster, uh, born in Colombia, and now works in, at Google. So a lot of it is not just about chess, but about connections, connecting with people all over the world, and also the different career paths that chess can kind of help you with. Like the mm -hmm. Botez sisters talked about chess and entrepreneurship and you know, somebody like um, Yuan Ling Yuan, who's from Canada and now works in um, venture capital, talked about like pattern recognition in chess and how that also applies to VC. So I think that it was really a wonderful program that was born out of this difficult time. Um, you know, it, and, and it's particularly valuable for chess because um, you have girls from all over the country and they might be the only 16 year old or 15 year old in their area who's a girl and who plays, but now their chance to meet people from all over the country um, can make them feel less alone, I think. So um, it's been really um, a highlight for me, for sure. And we've also gotten women involved as well, which I think is important. Of course, the interest level is really, really great among teenagers and kids. But when the Queen's Gambit came out, I noticed a lot of women, adult women, wanted to learn the game, senior women, you know, which especially during the pandemic uh, was, I think, so important because um, seniors were naturally even more risk averse during this time because the risk of COVID, well, their, their outcomes, if they were to contract COVID or could be even worse, um, that can create a lot of loneliness, right? I mean, that's obviously the flip side. So this ability to play chess and connect with people, I think was very powerful. So we have like a book club and an adult women's chess class as well um, that uh, I think really was a wonderful program during the pandemic. You know, something I was I was kind of thinking about, um, you know, now that the, the pandemic, well, you know, Delta Plus and all is, is a challenge, but, you know, we kind of started to see glimmers of the horizon of a post-COVID world. And, um, you know, having this online access to all these different communities um, is something that's really in, in like enlightening, I think. And do you imagine that there's always going to be some avenues like of your programs that are always going to be online only from now on because it's as, as you've described it seems like you've kind of like hit like a like a wealth of opportunity here oh yeah definitely i mean i think there are certain programs like the um weekly girls clubs that of course that makes a lot of sense to do online whether it's weekly or bi-weekly post-pandemic um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of just kind of keep the finger on our on the pulse of like what people want, but I absolutely think we want to keep doing them um, afterwards, and that has been a great learning experience. I think of it like hybrid; it's a hybrid future because uh, there are some people who are so pressed for time that they can't really um, afford to play in live events that might be far from their hometown. Maybe like literally can't afford it, right? Like I've had girls from my program say, you know, I'm so grateful that I can come to this girls club because I couldn't afford to go to the girls clubs at national events, right? Um, so literally maybe, or also maybe just time-wise, right? Like super busy, can't get away for a long weekend. 
Um, so I think that it just allows us to kind of serve both communities. And then there's other girls who don't really jive with the online as much and really, really crave the over the board atmosphere. And also um, maybe they go to a school program where, you know, their teachers are helping them kind of like get to chess tournaments and like get engaged. So uh, I think both is fantastic because it will allow us to kind of like grow the game in more directions and provide more accessibility. Because, you know, the other thing I think the pandemic has taught us is that there are many people who um, have restricted access to, you know, going to chess tournaments all of the time, right? So uh, yeah, this will, will definitely continue post pandemic. I mean, it is even like you were saying, when there were those um, glimmers of a post pandemic world, I was already definitely planning to continue with these online events. Yeah, and um, something else I was kind of wondering, you know, 20 some years ago, you and, and, and your brother, as I've learned on the podcast as well, um, you guys were kind of uh, these up and coming hotshots, uh, you know, destroying uh, tournament play. Um, and of course, you you want to uh, you two country well, not state championships, sorry, you won uh, two US chess championships. Um, have how have you noticed like the OTB landscape, obviously pandemic notwithstanding, how how has that kind of shifted in terms of like equity? Um, for female players? Well, definitely there are more opportunities for female players now. I think there's more tournaments. You know, you've got a lot of girls tournaments with scholarship money up for grabs. There's like the National Girls Tournament of Champions, the Ruth Herring Invitational. Um, there's the, um, you know, there's a tournament that Susan Polgar runs. There's also uh, the all girls nationals in Chicago with the Kasparov chess foundation. So yeah, there's a lot of great opportunities for girls tournaments and for women. Uh, and I think that it's fantastic. It's really exciting. Uh, of course, I also feel like it's important to, again, it's all, to me, it's all about what do people want? And I do think that there are some girls and women who come into chess and don't like the idea of girls and women's tournaments they might find that condescending. So I always just try to like keep that in mind that most girls do seem to love them, honestly, but there's some people who don't. And like, I think we have room for everyone. And I feel like just my only thing is I just feel like let's continue to be creative. Like I love what Judith Polgar is doing with the uh, Champions Chess Tour where yeah. it's like girls and boys and like well, sometimes young men and young women and they're all in the same event. I, I think that's really great. Like try different things because it's also from a media perspective, I think like girls tournaments are really cool because you see all these girls playing chess and that might not, before the Queen's Gambit, that wasn't what you thought of when you thought of chess. But then also I think like from a media and growth perspective, seeing the ability of chess to cross all cultures and genders is also really powerful, right? So I, I think just mixing it up is fantastic. So I have I have like two questions um, just to building on that, because um, you mentioned this, uh, the Judith Polgar, like kind of like these mixed like up and coming hotshots um, that just reminded me of this uh, of a quote that was in the I, I think you shared this and you actually I think you were quoted in this New Yorker article about who you found um, and uh, actually was wasn't the article also written by one of your friends, too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but there was some uh, there was some quote there about uh, I forget who said it uh, because it just dawned on me. But it was kind of saying that you know when when female players get to about like twenty five hundred twenty six hundred area like they in the women's only tournaments it's harder for them to gain rating because that's typically the end of the the rating side. So you know kind of talking about mixed tournaments like do you think in an ideal world we would just have like you know fifty fifty male female um, player base and only mixed tournaments, or do you think that there always needs to be a place for female tournaments? I mean, I'm not sure because I think like, well, there was 50, 50 women and men, but there was still like a society in which women and men are like raised very differently mm -hmm. and often grouped together. Then maybe like women would just want to occasionally have a female tournament for fun. I don't know. I still think it's possible that they would, they would have their place. Like, 
but there would probably be a lot less of them because right now a, a big function of them is creating networks for women and girls to meet up and for women to have opportunities to shine. Um, not that they can't do that in mixed tournaments as well, but like other extra opportunities to encourage them. So there'd probably be a lot less. Would there be zero? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, you think about poker, there's like not that many women's tournaments. I mean, women are still really outnumbered in poker, um, but uh, there are still a few. I feel like it might be similar to that if we got closer to 50-50. Like there would still be some, but it would just be a lot less. Which is funny because there would be like a lot more women playing chess, but there would be like fewer women's tournaments probably. Although maybe there's an alternate reality in which so many women like the way of interacting with women over the board and girls over the board that um, actually that's how they got into chess and they love it. And like that just like blew up, you know, and there would be like 50, 50, but there would still be a lot of separate girls events. Definitely that's possible too. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you see, I don't see it. I see it as like, life is hard. What do people enjoy doing? <laughs> You know, yeah. I don't see it like, oh, you know, like they're, they should be playing with boys because chess is like a mental game. I, I don't see that at all. I think that's like a weird, if you think about it, if you unpack it, that's like a weird way to look at it, you know, like just let people enjoy themselves and exercise their brains and like, you know, try to get better or um, get whatever they're trying to get out of chess. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think I think that there's definitely there there should be spaces for all all sorts of different kinds of tournaments, and 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 certainly I think especially now like it, it's kind of important to mention that um, as 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 we all know, like the the player base is not fifty fifty, and so like these tournaments are important for many many other reasons. Um, so, but you know, actually, I was what I really was trying to say. Um, you, just one of your comments kind of made me like realize I haven't even asked like. Um, basically in terms of like the next few years, like what are you kind of looking for in terms of like the chess culture and, and, and attitudes towards like making chess more equitable for female players? Um, I think that we have progress. We've made a lot of progress in terms of uh, making women and girls feel more comfortable in chess um, because there are so many successful women and girls um, in all spheres. Uh, I think, you know, on Twitch, I've noticed a lot of progress, um, especially like a year ago, I started to stream myself and I did a lot of partnerships with the Botez sisters at that time. And I noticed that there was like a lot of progress against harassment on, in chat, which was so fantastic to see, you know, mm -hmm. like you, you see so much horrible things and you just never think there's going to be any progress. So then when you see progress, it's very exciting. Um, now it's, you know, potentially limited. It's not widespread, but I'd like to see um, more progress in that area. Um, and also, um, you know, there's more attention towards uh, anti-harassment policies. You know, uh, US Chess has these safe play guidelines um, for our own events. You know, we have, you have to have background checks to work at a US Chess event. And um, I think one of the more important ones is the idea of following the rule of three, which means that you don't have uh, a child and a grown up alone, particularly not in a place like a hotel room studying chess together, right? That you would always want there to be two children um, or two grown ups or, you know, any kind of number greater than that, right? Um, so I would like to see um, more widespread adoption of those types of policies and like clear reporting um, culture if somebody has a complaint. Yeah, I let, and we, we also have an abuse at uschess.org email. But I think that I'd just like to see more attention to that um, so that women and girls could like really feel even more comfortable. And boys too, by the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not only, it's not like only girls and women are harassed and abused. Uh, but uh, certainly uh, in chess, disproportionately affected. Yeah, no, uh, I actually that rule of three, I never even heard of I until I saw a tweet of yours about a month and a half ago. And it's it's a really like good idea. I think like any any youth group in general should be adopting that kind of thing. Um, a lot of them have. Yeah, a yeah. lot of them have. I think I first learned about it actually at CrossFit of all places, because this was before I had a kid, but there was like a CrossFit kids program. And 
the teacher was telling me about how, um, yeah, they had to make sure that signups were robust enough that he was never going to be alone in, in the same room with a kid at the same, at the same time. Yeah. And then he told me about like, that was like a standard policy for a lot of ch children's groups. So, yeah. I do uh, want to also talk to you a little bit about uh, your podcasting career, um, because this is a podcast after all, and uh, you have two podcasts. You have Ladies Night, um, which uh, you have female guests, and you talk about chess with them. Um, I listened to uh, the episode with uh, Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, who is an astrophysicist like me, uh, and actually spoke at my school a year ago, and it was a really good talk. Um, so that was really, really enjoyable. Um, and you also have The Grid. I've never listened to The Grid. Although from what I read, it's a poker podcast with your husband. Um, so how, how long have you been uh, podcasting for? It's been like about two and a half years now. I started podcasting in 2019, um, starting with the ladies night and soon thereafter um, coming up with the concept and releasing the grid as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And yeah, Doc, Shonda is such a, a great, um, a great speaker for sure. Uh Award-winning episode, by the way, guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it won a Chess Journalist of America award. That was very exciting. Yeah, so Chanda, I sorry. I, 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 yeah, Chanda. Chanda. Chanda, not Chanda. <laughs> um, yeah, and, um, you know, uh, I, I was just, as a, as a side note, if you're interested in, in um, physics, astronomy, and, and chess, of course, it's just, it's a, it's a lovely episode. So definitely, definitely check that out on Ladies Night. And, and Ladies Night is actually, it's, uh, it's a U.S. chess podcast. It is. It's an official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. And actually, we're, we're posting a podcast that will be up by the time this episode releases, because I think we're posting it like tonight. Um, so maybe I'll just rephrase that and say there's a, the, the latest episode of Ladies Night, the August episode, is with a Holocaust survivor. Um, and it's a very special episode because she speaks French. Uh, and we therefore had to... Um, had had to get a voiceover artist to um to recite her um, to translate and to recite her words um from French to English and it was uh it was really special and the voiceover artist did a great job and I think you guys will really enjoy the episode it's about Isabel Schoko who um almost died in Auschwitz and in another death camp um managed to survive really by like a pound of her life she was actually just 55 pounds when she got out insane right it's crazy. Uh, and now she's almost 93 years old and an incredibly successful woman she won the french women's chess championship in 1956 and went on to be like a super successful artist and entrepreneur uh so yeah it's a pretty inspiring tale you know also like um Chess during the Holocaust and during actually World War II, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things that I feel like just nobody really talks about. Like, I did not know that Alexander Alekhine was like, you know, basically a Nazi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, this came up in my girls club the other day because somebody was talking about the Alekhine's gun and I hate that phrase. I want to retire it permanently. Like, I don't understand how we can use Alekhine's gun unironically in chess. Like, no, I have renamed it to Polgar's power punch which oh. I feel like works well because Judith Polgar has a, some really good games with it. She has a really nice game with it where I, I, uh, I don't, I think Muzuchu was the person she played. So it was a rare case where she played a female player. She doesn't have a lot of games in the database against women players, but I think it was actually in Gibraltar. So it was in an open event where she played, I think it was Anna Muzuchu. So uh, fantastic game. And there's very few very few like openings and like just tactics named after female players. So certainly I'd rather have it named after Judah Polgar than um, the, the Nazi, you know, of Alexander Alekhine. Yeah. And he, and also, um, I mean, obviously there's also the Alekhine's defense and there's a lot of stuff named after him. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's, if it's my job to say like, to what extent should, should that kind of stuff be? Well, also like Levi Rosman, who's Jewish, he also um, revealed that um, the Blackmar Deemer Gambit, which I've never played before, but um, it was Emil Deemer, I think is his name. He's also like a Nazi. He was actually a Nazi, like 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 full on. Like, you know, I think Alekhine was like like hired by the party. I don't know exactly what the whole detail is, but I think Alekhine more worked for the Nazi. A Nazi is a Nazi at the end of the day, right? But like, um, it's just like it, 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 what my point is like, 
talking about like chess during the Holocaust era and like the World War II era, like how it just kind of like there's like six years just kind of like of no international chess and it's not really talked about or explored at all, like in chess lore whatsoever, which is weird. Well, I mean, Alakine uh, claimed after after the war was ending, actually, as the, as the war was ending, I think he realized um, that it was going to be very bad for him, all of these uh, Nazi collaborations. So he tried to, like, retract. Uh, but, it, you know, the evidence doesn't look very good for him. Yeah, that's true. But uh, the, the re- he, what, I, what, it was so, what was so horrible about Alakine was that as the world champion, you're this like intellectual symbol, right? Right. And he wrote articles about the natural inferiority of the Jewish brain, right? And the natural support superiority of the Aryan brain. Like he wrote, you know, what race science or race pseudoscience uh, uh, would be a better name for it. Uh, and like, to, to me, that's just, it's, unbelievable that that's not more widely known because it's like the exact opposite of using chess in a heroic and positive way right it's just the worst thing that i think a chess player has ever done right i can't think of anything that could possibly be worse uh was uh, but didn't he well maybe i'm wrong but didn't um he lost in 1935 to max oiva i thought max oiva was jewish maybe i'm wrong uh perhaps i'm wrong um, this is this has got to be Googleable, you know. Uh, I mean, Lasker was Jewish, right? Yeah, of course, Lasker was Jewish. Many Jewish players in in chess. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's it's very interesting. Like like just how like it's it's like when you it's like there's this meme going around now on the internet about how like if you like ask like Coco Chanel. Like what was Coco Chanel doing like during the years like 1933 to 1945? And it's like, oopsie, it's not on our website or like Volkswagen or like Hugo Boss, or, like it was Hugo Boss. I don't know. Like a lot of these companies, they just kind of omitted from their history instead of like kind of owning up to it. And it's kind of a similar thing in chess, like where it's like what really happened during those years are some great players who kind of were on the wrong side of history. And that's history at the end of the day. But yeah. And, you know, I get it. The Alakine's defense. Like the but the Alakine's gun really bothers me. Like that, like that's just unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, a gun, like you know, in the, I mean, you might if you're gonna call it the Alakine's gun, like you might as well call it the Alakine's firing squad. It's just very, it's terrible. You know, yeah. like it's it's not a good phrase because you know when people later learn more about him, it's like very offensive. So um, that's why I'm trying to make the Polgar power punch happen. Well, you heard it here first. I mean, that's what I'm going to be using now. Polgar's power punch sounds good to me. Rook, queen, rook on the on the file uh, sounds good to me. I, I think if they, we can all promote that, it'll be it'll be a great uh, great development in uh, in chess history. But you know, there's multiple names for stuff like openings too. Like even people who are like, oh, but it has to be this. Like you can just have both. Worst case, like you know, I, I still th- I I like it. I'm going to start using it. I think it's yeah. Great. There are a lot of there are a lot of synonyms. Like for instance, in between moves, wishing uh, I, I mean, a lot of it's just different languages for the same phrase, I guess. But okay, there's double attack and fork. Uh, the ones that are really important seem to have like multiple names, which makes sense because the more names you have for things, I mean, if you have names for something that doesn't have a name, it, it's sometimes easier to recall, right? Right. So that that uh, that to me. Makes a lot of sense, especially if they're like slightly different. Like, is a fork slightly different than a double attack, or is it exactly the same? Uh, certainly, I think of forks more when I think of knights. Knights. Yeah, but I think it technically could be. I think it's technically totally synonymous. But I use fork more when I think of a knight. Yeah, no, but that's actually a good point. Like, I like I, I actually I'm not sure that there is a difference between you know, like it's just like the knight fork is like an iconic phrase in chess, like the royal fork. You know, so like you don't call it the royal double attack. It just doesn't feel the same way. Like there's something goofy about forks and skewers that like is not as goofy with like maybe the more technical term or whatnot. So uh, yeah, that's um, but it's a good point. Um, going back to to like podcasting though, um, do you have like you know I, there aren't that many chess podcasts. Probably like between like me, you. And Ben Johnson of Perpetual Chess is probably like sixty percent of like the potosphere for chess. So like, do you have like any advice for like surviving the and growing in the chess potosphere? 
the potosphere. Wow. Well, you know, there's way fewer podcasts in chess, I think, than there are in um, poker, which is interesting. And I think I know the reason for it. Even though chess is huge, chess is so well suited for video, uh, whereas poker is very well suited for audio because you can tell a whole poker hand and like actually talk about the strategy. Whereas in chess, like Ben Johnson does do that with his blindfold segments, but he has to give a warning. <laughs> because it's like, so funny. Yeah, don't exert, don't try this if you're driving a car, man. You don't really have to do that with poker. I mean, yeah. you know, it is true that sometimes I have to replay my my favorite poker podcast over and over to like review the hand action if I'm trying to exercise or something. But I guess my suggestion is that it's always good to have your own twist on things. I think, I mean, I... I'm biased in that respect because uh, the poker grid is incredibly gimmicky and a lot of my projects are gimmicky. Um, I know gimmicky normally has a negative connotation, but uh, I, I could call it distinctive, right? I right. usually have some kind of twist to my ideas because I like uh, to create something that hasn't quite been done before. And so that's one way to do it to think about an idea, you know, the grid, the whole idea is that there's 169 possible poker hands. And so we go through it. Like, so it's a scavenger hunt. I've actually had Ben Johnson on my podcast because he used to be a professional poker player. Oh, really? He oh. talked about pocket sevens. Um, and I also have Peter Svindler on. He talked about a seven suited. So uh, the idea is that you get these people on and they talk about these hands and then eventually it's, I'm going to run out of um, hands. That's the idea. And then I'll come up with another idea. But I, I like ideas like that. And somebody had a similar idea. Um, and they recently debuted a podcast in poker called The First Lat. And this is about the first poker tournament that you cash in. Right? So you kind of, it's, it's always going to be like a throwback podcast, unless you're talking to a very young player, where they're going to go back in time and talk to you about their beginning in the game, but through the lens of a, of a tournament. And I think that's brilliant. And that's very similar to the reason that I started the grid because I want people to have an impetus to tell a story, you know, otherwise, you know, we might just talk about ideas and philosophy and, you know, all these beautiful things that are even more beautiful when they're anchored with a specific tale. So that was my idea for the grid. And if it gives anybody who's starting a content or podcast some inspiration, I would love it. Yeah, I think also like um, it's just your comment about gimmicky. I think that like with with stuff like content creation, like you need to kind of have that kind of like you said a twist because like like for example, um, some longtime listeners know that I once tried to do a basketball podcast and um, I'm still trying to reboot it. It's a lot harder to make a basketball podcast because there's so many of them and it's so much harder to find that kind of unique thing. So whereas with kind of with what I'm trying to do with this podcast is. Kind of just trying to make things very conversational i don't try to be very technical about chess at all i'd rather just have conversations about like chess culture or like tournament histories and stuff like that you know kind of talk about like the world around chess like uh because because i think that like there there isn't enough of that uh, there's a lot of like focus on t twitter about theory and whatnot but um i think i and i hope that that's what that's what i'm like getting done with this podcast um although to be honest like uh perpetual chess is just like such an elite podcast like just anybody who's listening to this if you need another like chess podcast that's not ladies night um perpetual chess that was really the one that got me into chess podcasting myself so definitely deserves a listen um but yeah i mean like the gimmicks i actually i wonder if somebody could create some sort of podcast just like the grid except um like for uh for openings get a, a specialist on every opening and just have like a 20 minute like audio thing but although it is true that like chess is very well suited for video. So maybe a video audio mix. Now I'm getting ideas. And at the same time, there's an oversaturation in poker podcasts that doesn't exist in chess. See, that's the interesting thing about business that it's, there's this like automatic adjustment. And when I interviewed Ben Johnson for The Grid, he talked about that, about how the idea of their perpetual podcasts came out of this, uh, this search for a gap in the market, right? Um, and because there's so much interest in chess and there's not as many podcasts because chess is not quite as well suited to podcasts, because of that, there is more space for people to do it. So I, I, I think there's just kind of like a natural correction there, which is really interesting because people still want to just hear about chess if they love it. 
and they don't always really want to be studying. They want to hear about like the culture and about their favorite players. So it makes sense that there are fewer, but it also feels like there's still an opportunity for people. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of room for growth and, you know, shameless self plug, but if you're liking what you're hearing so far, you can follow the Twitter, um, 64 podcast on Twitter. You can follow Jennifer on Twitter, Jen Shahadi, um, at Jen Shahadi. You can follow my personal Twitter. It's just my name, David Visgon. Um, you know, we're trying to grow. You can follow us on, uh, on Apple and Spotify, trying to grow the podcast. So like, like we said, a lot of room for growth. And, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, room for growth, uh, this is a completely unrelated segue. Um, actually I'm, I'm very interested about you you know, you're the first poker player I've had on, on, uh, on my podcast. And I've noticed there is a lot of overlap between chess and poker, like just a lot of players who've done both. I've, I, you know, I've only played poker with my friends a couple of times. I would not call myself a poker player. Um, but like, what do you think is like the, you know, the allure for chess players to like play poker and also get pretty good at it? I think chess players love the, the idea that they're going to be well suited to another strategy game, especially because poker does have that glamour and it's, it's, it's very social. And, you know, we know chess is social, but it's like social after the games, right. In between the games, like poker can actually be social during the games. So that can be appealing to the one or two chess players that are extroverts. (laughs) Identify (laughs) yourselves. I know, I know. (laughs) My friend John Hartman at uh, at US Chess, who of course has a podcast as well now, covers and also a guest on my podcast as well. Yeah, he 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 he's uh he's one of the first extroverts that come to mind. I mean, there of course there are some, of course there are some, but like you know, especially with all these streamers, you know. But I think even some of the people who seem extroverted, like they're they're not really that extroverted. And I don't think streaming is that much of an extroverted activity in the same way. It isn't because you're, because you're still about it. I think it depends. Like you do need to give your personality to like your fans, but it is true that, 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 that separation from the physical contact does change things. It might be like less exhausting. So yeah. Uh, no, but seriously for the, like the, let's say the 20% of chess players that are extroverts, I feel like poker can be kind of cool because you get to actually talk to people during the hands. Um, and that's actually a really interesting skill as well. Like you take it for granted that as a chess player, you just get to sit there and think and not be disturbed. Right. Poker takes it to a different level in that you might be trying to think and somebody's trying to stop you from thinking. And it's actually, it's actually within the rules. Like they're allowed to talk to you, right? Uh, within reason, right? They can't like scream or curse, but um, that, that, uh, that's a really different and interesting experience. It's very difficult for me. That's not something that comes naturally to me. Like I like to have that like full focus, but the idea of like actually having this like fun, charming conversation and also kind of focusing at the same time. That's, that's actually something that I crave from poker because I want to get better at it. Do you think that there's like any, um, is there any truth to like some, some chess skills transfer over to poker and vice versa? Oh yeah, definitely. I'd say the number one is how to approach the study of the game. Like what I say is chess is becoming more like poker and poker is becoming more like chess. So chess is becoming more glamorous right? We're with like these big sponsorship deals and like, you know, chess players just having more financial opportunities to kind of do what they want, which of course, if you're young, is going to mean a lot of fun and travel, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for chess um, has influenced poker so greatly as poker has become more like chess in its study in that people are studying like chess players have been studying for, for decades, Right breaking out their computer programs, studying their opening ranges, thinking about their end game strategies. Oh, it's very similar now. And the ironic part about it is that as chess becomes more like poker, I mean, as poker becomes more like chess, it's actually harder to be uh, a super level player at both because it just, they both just take so much time. Yeah, so you would think that it would actually be like good for chess players that it's so similar, but it is and it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. It's good that you can become like a pretty good amateur right away. But if you actually want to make the switch and become like a great poker player, you actually have to turn off chess more, more than maybe in the past. 
What, how did you uh, how did you get into into poker? Uh, I, I actually like I, I all I knew is that like you you and and your brother Greg are both like super good chess players and poker players. Um, but I know that your I read that your dad was an FM and Greg of course is the enemy of Team Scandi everywhere. Um, and uh, you know back when I played the Scandinavian, he was the nemesis on Twitter. Um, but uh, how did you guys like get into into poker? Um, well, my brother. And, and Ben actually was a lot of my friends in chess, but particularly my brother, Greg and Ben were very into poker and they'd been trying to teach me for a long time, but I was busy graduating NYU and writing my first book, Chess Bitch. So I didn't get into it right away. Um, I kind of gravitated toward it a little bit later in life. And now I, I love the challenge and I love the, the network of people. And it, it has a lot of different challenges than chess, but it also uh, has a lot of overlap in the people and the skills. So yeah, it's, it's really fun for me. You know, actually your book, Chess Bitch, I don't know, do I have to, do I now have to censor the, I'm not going to censor the podcast episode. I'm not going to make it explicit. Yeah, it's dumb. It's a book name. Um, but I was actually in the chess forum with my friend in Greenwich Village. And sure enough, I saw a bunch of copies of, uh, of, of your book on the shelf. Um, it's a cool place, Chess Forum. I only found out about it pretty recently, so that's actually I haven't mentioned that on the podcast. But it's in Grand Village. It's uh, you can just play games, um, bring your board. But yeah, uh, you also can pick up. Uh, and that's you've written other books too, right? It's that you. I think you have uh, a- play like a girl. Yeah, and I've got some. I've got some more um, coming out soon as well. Um, so that is well, that is really exciting. I do love writing. Um, it really is um, my other other great love outside chess and poker now and those- of course of course my my wonderful son fabian and husband daniel oh yeah <laughs> and my whole family uh-oh i'm getting myself in trouble here uh-oh my, my non-human love um those books are they are they are they like more about like theory or are they more geared to like the like the like just more about like learning about chess like more holistic well play like a girl is more like the 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 tactics and strategies of champion players and um the chess bitch is more about like stories Mm -hmm. yeah gotcha yeah no that's uh you know it's 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 interesting like uh just like I don't know. It's it's really cool because like when I started um, watching uh, chess and actually when I started getting into it, like you were really one of the probably the most prominent like female personality in chess that I was aware of. And now it's become like today, like you have Bosa sisters and Ada Rudolph and Nemo and, and on the streaming side. And you also have a lot of like players like Alexandra Grachkina and, uh, you know, Kostenik just won the Women's World Cup without like even needing to go to tie break. So it, it's it's really cool that like even in like the four years that I've been like watching chess like how much like that side of things has grown like and I I really hope the progress continues. Oh yeah, well I think there's been a generational shift in chess as I've said elsewhere. Um, so I think that like yeah like it's not like it's gonna always grow at the same rate of 2020, but I think that we've just reached a different level of chess and its like place in the culture that mm-hmm. will last for for some time. And, and that's of course, exciting for somebody who's been in it for so long. When, uh, when Queen's Gambit came out, like, um, what kind of effect did that have on you? Oh, great effect. Great effect. I'm involved in like so many exciting projects now that were directly related to that. Um, you know, speaking projects, writing projects, and also like my women's program really attracted a lot of new people and funding. So, I think that it's had a really wonderful effect on my life. I mean, Anya Taylor Joy even sent a, a sweet message to the girls in my program. Oh, so wow. they love that. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I, and, it, and it also is a fantastic show too. Like the chess was done so well. I watched oh, it I with like it. one of my friends and she was like, is this real? Cause you know, normally like if it's like a basketball thing, basketball show is always like, Oh, you know, three point shot at the last second. And you know, Beth Harmon is grinding people down in a, up a piece or whatever. Like, that's cool. You know, you know, some, some, some movies have like, you know, the, the genius chess player struggles to find maiden one until like, Oh, it's right there. That's not how chess works. You know, that's, that, that's not uh that's not how it works. You set up. So I don't know. I, I just, I loved it. It was just, it's perfect. And I, I've talked about the impact of Queens Gambit on like a lot of people and 
I didn't know that 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 Anya Taylor Joy actually did that. That's really cool. Really cool. And Gary also, when he came to our girls club, as I mentioned earlier, he he talked about his role in the show. And you know, I've done a, some projects where I've like created games from scratch to like fit a narrative, and it was really interesting to hear how he approached it. Um. So. And, you know, a combination of like the art of it and the matching of the text. And I really was blown away really by the approach that I know like he and Pandolfini and Scott Frank worked on together, but I thought it was really, uh, really cool. Yeah. I, I found myself like, I, I was, I was watching it with, uh, with my friend Katie who like, uh, she doesn't play chess, but I found myself pausing our Netflix thing a bunch of times just to look at the positions and say, wow, look at this. Um, and for Gary, I mean, I, you know, considering like he had these like in like infamous comments, like around 30 years ago about like female chess players. I mean, it's, it's a hell of a redemption arc for him too, to like really get involved in something like that, which is going to have such a, such a lasting impact. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. You know, you, you thought that was before cancel culture, but he still does. He gets asked about it over and over and over again. I feel a bit bad about, I, I feel, I feel like a bit bad for him because like he get, keeps getting the same questions about it over and over. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we definitely, I think, you know, he, he's, he's done a lot of great work like since then. So I, I mean, you know, the past is a past, but also the future is the future is what I always like to say. You yeah, know? no, no, I understand. I, I, I mean, I guess, you know, that is, that is the, uh, the price that you sometimes have to pay for saying something really dumb. But I also think that it is so easy to look up what his responses are. So, yeah. Right. yeah. And I also remember, I think you, you shared something on Twitter too about Bobby Fisher, because Bobby Fisher, you know, was, uh, well, Fisher is, is, is gone. So it's a little harder to, to cancel somebody who's, who's gone. But um, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, chess has a lot of like the same kind of cultural, machinations that happens in just the mainstream culture now like we kind of have become more aware of those things i think yeah i wrote an article for the wall street journal and i just had mentioned that bobby fisher um said some uh some uh some bad things about women and uh just really factually based that the boom wasn't really focused on women and he in particular did not speak highly of their talent um which was really just facts and uh, somebody um, wrote a letter that was published in the Wall Street Journal. Um, I, actually, it was, I think, a sister of Elliot Hurst, who's a, I, I think she's a professor. Um, Elliot Hurst wrote this great book about blindfold chess. And um, I think she had met Fisher on some occasions. I can't remember the exact contents of the letter, but she wasn't happy that I pointed that out and maybe said that I was like dragging him through the mud or what, she didn't use those words. But I, uh, I was like, well, actually, I just wrote what he said. Yeah. Like, he, you know, it's, I, I just, I just said this is what he said, right? Like, but sometimes when you know people say things that are so terrible that all you have to do is report what they said, and then you know it's going to look really bad. I, I don't think you need to um, ignore any of that. It's good to put that context there because people wonder, you know, why have there not been um, as many Judah Pogars as we would expect, and you know, it does tie into the culture. And also, I mean, with uh, Polgar, especially, it ties into Fisher, too, because he stayed with him for a couple of months in that summer, of, in, uh, which I think is just like like chess lore, like ex ex extraordinary chess lore that he stayed in their house and like they would play like he like kind of was working on 960 in that household. That's just like, you know, how, how worlds cross. And speaking of worlds crossing, actually, Susan Polgar um, actually was a chess coach for my cousin in forest hills many years ago so you know i'm just just removed from from fisher like by three degrees of separation that's pretty cool yeah that's in queens right i yeah. remember when she had that chess school there yeah so um i'm gonna move on to the the last segment i'm very excited about this segment because i am i'm sponsored by aim chess and they've done a lot of stuff for me um and uh we've been thinking about how to do like a more involved segment so Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very, very pleased to uh, bring the first edition of Instant Insights, sponsored by AimChess. That was a production team, which is me, just put a sound effect there. Um, so how this works, you know, with AimChess, uh, you get instant insights on your, uh, your, your game, how to improve and whatnot. And I kind of thought, well, 
we can just get to know our chess players and chess figures that come on the show a little bit better. So this is going to be a rapid fire round of eight questions. But uh, are you ready to uh, enter? Yeah, let's the... do it. Let's, let's do go. it. Okay. Question one, knight or bishop? Bishop. It, that was a tough one because I think bishops are slightly better than knights. But um, in Blitz, a knight is better. And also the knight is like this magical beast. But I, I still had I still had to go with the bishop. So you just love the bishop pair? Heck yeah. Bishop pair at all costs. Um, okay, number two. Uh, we got a world championship match coming up in November. Are you Team Carlson or Team Nepo? I am Team Carlson, yeah, because I think that uh, I think it's going to be a great match and super entertaining. But I think that uh, Magnus is going to win, and uh, I think he's a big favorite. Uh, and I I think he's really good for chess. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm I, as of now, I'm Team Carlson too. Um, so I haven't I haven't revealed it on the podcast yet, but there you go. I mean, uh, that seems like he's got a really engaging personality as well. He's a good interview, yeah. but I mean, Magnus is like it's just hilarious. I mean, yeah. it's, it's almost, it's almost annoying. Like, I mean, he's, at least he's so good at jazz. He's so athletic, so good looking. And he's also just like really funny like, yeah, in interviews. He's like really, he's very sharp. He's very witty. Yeah. Very quick. Um, and so it, that that's always like, I think that's really, that's really good. Um, although it also wouldn't be bad for him to lose. Cause he'd still be like this looming figure in chess is like the number one rated. Right. So yeah, I think it, it would be good for chess either way, but I hope he wins. I think I think Nepo probably is the most unique challenge to him too, because I, Nepo is really an enigma in a way that his previous opponents were not. And but you know, I actually like to about Magnus's humor. I was in San Francisco a few days ago, and Hikaru won the um, the St. Louis Rapid and Blitz without losing a game, but he also lost some rating points um, in Rapid and Blitz by winning this tournament. And so Magnus tweeted something like, "Congrats to like number two Rapid and Blitz player Hikaru on a dominant performance." And it's just like that Scandinavian humor, that irony. I was just like, I was laughing. I had just hiked up Buena Vista Park, like lungs were shot in the smog. And I was just laughing so hard. I had to like take, take a second to breathe. That was just really funny. Yeah. yeah typical, typical yeah. Magnus humor. I love it. It's hilarious. I'm sure, I'm sure Hikaru liked it quite a lot too. Yeah, for sure. Hikaru no, was no, like, I feel like Hikaru is kind of an easy laugh, which is good. I think that's a good quality. I think it's a yeah. great quality. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's what makes him a great streamer too. So I get a lot of laughs out of Hikaru's stream. Um, anyway, on to the instant insight number three. Favorite place where you've ever played chess? Mm, oh my, um, so many places. I'm gonna. I really have to pick one. I, I Istanbul. 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 I loved. Yeah, that was an Olympiad, and it's. I, I just, as soon as I went there, I wanted to come back. You know, I'm a big city person. I really love big cities. I I lived in New York City at the time, and I just. Uh, was so taken in by the energy there and the food and the music. It seemed to me that every time we just like ducked into a place to get a meal or a drink, there would be like uh, beautiful live music playing at the same time. And it was like, we didn't even like research it or pay for tickets or anything. It was just like part of it. And um, I was so taken by that. What is the most memorable tournament you've ever played? Um, the most memorable tournament play I played was oh gosh at first at first I was gonna say that it was the the tournament that I you know one of the tournaments that I won like the U.S. Women's Championship but I have to say there was a tournament I played on New Year's Eve one year that was a like incredible there was actually a movie made about it and not the chess tournament but the actual event because it was this um, insane, like party, um, but kind of like a Bernie man style party with a bunch of like art installations. And like, you know, um, there was like a bunch of pods that were made where people would like sleep at the party. And like, it was like a two week long party. And the guy who, um, who, who created this installation, which I believe was like in the East village, um, also like chess. So he had this like chess tournament, like midnight, and I think my brother was invited. Joel Benjamin was invited, but it was really something completely different. And there was music. Of course, there was like music playing the entire time. That's not, I, I don't think I chess. did very well, yeah. but I think I was invited to the parties and I had fun at those. <laughs> Do you remember what the tournament was called? No, it didn't have a name, but there was a movie, like there was a documentary made about this guy um, living in public, maybe. 
Sounds right. Living in public. Know. Yeah, we live in public. 2009 film. Yeah, that it, it, it was about Josh Harris. That was the guy who organized it. And I, I'm not sure if chess was actually featured in it, but the party that it took place in was. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. It sounds a lot more fun than the tournaments I enter online. So, you know. Yeah, it says, it says here, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. It was a Japanese style capsule hotel outfitted with cameras in every pod. And this was like at the, in, like around 2000. Um, and screens that allowed each occupant to monitor the other pod. So it was like a predecessor, I guess, to some of the re- reality TV shows. Although I think even then reality TV was kind of like, uh, was kind of, was kind of a uh, starting. They had to- American Idol and like Survivor and like, yeah, like that Big Brother. Yeah, but it hadn't flourished to the extent. Yeah, no, it's it like Lo- Love Island. Are we Love Island fans? I don't think they're there with The Bachelor yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, next question Favorite chess player of all time? Favorite chess player of all time? Um, hmm. I'll go with Judith Polgar. It's a great pick. It's a fantastic pick. Um, okay, we'll just move on to the next one. Favorite game that you've ever played? Favorite game that I've ever played? Um, That's a tough one. That's a really tough one, I know. Yeah, yeah, it is a tough one. Um, I really uh, liked my game against... I have a lot of great... I I have a lot of great memories of Sicilian games, and not all of them are in the database. Um, but I, I do remember one from the World Open um, that uh, I was like particularly um, memorable. Um, but you know what? I'm going to go with um, one of my U.S. championship victories, like um, the one against Armin Ambatsumian, who's now like this great famous coach. And um, that actually clinched me my U.S. women's championship title, my first one. So that's that's a really memorable one. It was a Grunfeld. Were you with white pieces or black pieces? Oh, I was black. I'm not playing D4. <laughs> no, me too. Yeah. Um, two more questions here. Um, favorite game of someone else? That's also a tough one. I know. I'm 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 I'm, I'm testing out these questions. I might change them, but uh, no, know. no, no. I love the I love the question. I'm just trying to to think. I mean, I the I know the uh, Kasparov Topolov one is probably a popular answer. But that does that does come to mind, and then there's also uh, a lot of Judah Polgar games that were very inspiring to me, especially uh, like in the Sicilian. So Polgar Shirov, she was black, is a big one as well. Yeah, so uh, check those games out, guys. Um, and you know, I've ended every episode with this question, and it, the question is not going away; it's just been repurposed. Um, What's your what's your favorite opening? And you no, know, usually how I used to ask this was, um, like if you had to like teach one opening to people of all levels. Although I think I'm just gonna just ask people like, what is what is your favorite opening in chess? I and mean, there are a lot of great openings, but uh, oh, definitely the Sicilian, hundred percent. I mean, do I need to be more specific? Uh, no, I mean you don't have to, but I mean yeah, there... yeah, yeah. I love the Sicilian. I like all the uh, almost like all the branches. I love how the the queens are the, the kings are often castled on opposite sides a higher percentage of the time at least i lo- i love the dragon in in um in essence um it can be hard to play because it's so linear um but then you know you can shift one of the other great sicilians you know rip uh Sveshnika. yeah and- rest in peace uh, i was gonna just uh just, just gonna mention that actually is a giant of the game evgeny Sveshnikov, uh like as a recording today passed away unfortunately and uh you know the basically the 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 the, the rolls royce of uh, of chess right now is is the sveshnikov sicilian which magnus has like played to to perfection and like it's so yeah. popular now the sveshnikov is like an evergreen opening it's it's so powerful in fact i often avoided it because i would play like the c3 sicilian if i knew my opponent was going to play the sveshnikov or bishop d5 something you saw from like fabiano as well against magnus in the world championship match right Right. And uh, yet, you know, maybe maybe next time I'll I'll allow it. Um, rest in peace to a giant of the game. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, rest in peace, Evgeny Shvestrikov, and uh, you will you will always be remembered. Um, yeah, and I guess uh, that's a bit of a somber note to end the podcast. But uh, I I think um, 
that's all I've got. So I want to thank Inchess for, uh, for sponsoring that segment. Like I said, you can use my code David30 to get 30% off of your subscription with Inchess the first month. Um, and uh, Jennifer, it was so lovely to have you on. Like I said, you know, uh, you, Maurice, uh, Yasser, both of whom I also hope to have on the podcast someday. Uh, you know, it really was like, uh, you guys made chess look cool. And uh, so I, I got into it and it's uh, been best decision I ever made in terms of picking up a hobby. So yeah, so thanks so much for coming on the show. I hope I really hope to have you on again. Um, and guys, thanks for listening to this episode of 64 Chess Podcast. You can uh, subscribe on Apple. You can follow me on Spotify, uh, wherever else you get your podcasts. I don't even know. There's so many places. Um, get us everywhere and anywhere. And you can follow me on Twitter, trying to grow the Twitter. And uh, yeah, until then, I guess I'll see you guys soon. Five stars on, on Apple. Love it. And yes, you have a very good Twitter. So get on get on it. Five stars on four reviews. If, if you've been loving or hating the podcast, you can leave a five star or one star reviews. You can sully the sully the, you know, you can sully the ratings or you can you can improve it. I'm undefeated so far. So, uh, you know, leave a nice review if you'd like. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Take it easy.